0: From the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Hola, and welcome to another episode of La Biblioteca, the podcast series from the Hispanic Division at the Library of Congress. I am Talia Guzman Gonzalez, reference librarian in the Hispanic Reading Room, and I am here with my colleague Catalina Gomez, also a reference librarian. Hola, Catalina.
1: Hola, Talia. Well, I'm thrilled to be here again and to talk today about Pablo Neruda, one of the poets that recorded for the Archive of Hispanic Literature on tape here at the library. Uh, Neruda recorded for this archive in 1966.
0: The man we know as Pablo Neruda was born in 1904, and his name was Neftalí Ricardo Reyes Basualto. He adopted the pseudonym Pablo Neruda in 1920 and changed his name legally in 1946. He is the author of more than 50 books, most of them books of poetry, such as Veinte Poemas de Amor y Una Canción Desesperada, Residencia en la Tierra, and Alturas de Machu Picchu. In
1: 1971,
0: Neruda was awarded
1: the Nobel Prize for Literature. Other honors that he was awarded include the National Prize for Literature of Chile, the International Peace Prize, and the Stalin Peace Prize. From 1927 to 1944, Neruda was appointed Chilean consul to Burma, Singapore, Java, Buenos Aires, Barcelona, Madrid, and Mexico City. In 1945, he was elected senator as a member of the Communist Party, which was outlawed four years later. The poet sought exile in Mexico, and later toured Europe and Asia. He returned to Santiago de Chile in 1952, where he continued to write until his death in 1973.
0: And at one point during those travels, he made a stop in Washington, D.C., and came to the Library of Congress when he recorded for the Archive. Uh, And to talk with us about that visit, we invited Mark Eisner, who is the author of the forthcoming biography of Pablo Neruda, Neruda, the Poet's Calling, that will be published in 2018 by Echo Press. Eisner is also producing a documentary on Neruda to be completed in 2018, and a shorter version of this documentary received the Latin American Studies Association Award of Merit in Film. Let's talk to Mark. Mark,
1: it's great to have you here with us.
2: It's great to be with you guys. Hi, Mark.
1: Hello. Well, so you've been here in the Library of Congress for some time now. We we have the pleasure of seeing you and you do research, extensive research on Pablo Neruda. Uh, for all the different projects that you have on him. In um, the Hispanic Reading Room. Right. And we would like for you to tell us about um, Neruda and more specifically about Neruda's visits to the United States. And I know you have um, some good information about his visits to the U.S. and to his visit to the Library of Congress in the 60s. So that would be wonderful if you could share some of that with us.
2: Sure. Um, and want to thank you both for having me. And it's just been such a pleasure working at the library and with people like you. It really adds a human dimension that you don't get besides all the resources that it has here. So I've really appreciated everything. Um, In in terms of what you asked about his visits uh, to the library, the first time he was in the States was actually 1943. He was working as consul to Mexico, as Chilean consul serving in Mexico. Um, And Chile had just finally broken off with diplomatic ties to the Axis powers, and just after that, the State Department asked him to come to New York for some uh, cultural visits. Then he came down to um, D.C. This was already in 43, um, before he kind of became the poet that we know of as here in the States as being you know, one of the most popular poets. But the Washington Post referred to him, um, again, that year as the astounding Spanish poet of his day, the attorney general, brought him over to his house. Um, and he was invited to the Library of Congress by chief librarian, which is what it was called at that time, the poet Archibald McLeish, um, who had been picked by FDR to kind of push this progressive agenda. And that was one of the reasons that he chose Neruda. Um, there, he one of the things that he did was sign one of the 500 copies existing in the world of España en el Corazón which is this amazing essential book from the Spanish Civil War which the library had at that time. Then skip 23 years or so, uh, 1966 he's invited by Arthur Miller to the International Pen Club meeting in New York. At first there was some trouble getting him a visa because he was at this point even more so a communist than he was in 43 when his uh, wasn't so much in the Partido at that time. Um, There's a beautiful letter from Arthur Miller when they were having these problems and um, didn't seem like he was going to be able to get here. And Miller wrote him to him in Chile and said, "Um, in short, try to come. This place is full of your friends, as you know. It's important you come. My wife speaks perfect Spanish, so that makes it more important. Your wife must come too. Here in the country, we have good friends, writers, dogs, cats, birds, trout, whiskey.
0: <laughs> oh,
2: that's great! <laughs> and I just I found that in the archives in um, in Chile, and uh, it just it kind of melted my heart. Oh, that's great. So
0: he knew of his love of nature. Little, and animals, yeah, animals
2: and just whiskey and trout. Chris, <laughs> it's like, <yeah. laughs> and I mean, they're two of my favorite writers together. And just imagining mm-hmm. that it's been one of those pleasures of doing all this work is kind of the more personal thing behind just the books and the letters and the analysis and all that um and then uh in terms of the personal stuff uh after he was in new york he came down to dc um at first he was at the idb the international development bank um where there was so many protests uh by staff members, and uh, they had to the head of the IDB had to take a bullhorn and say, "We're moving this reef reading to the Mayflower Hotel because they couldn't do the reading at the Mayflower itself." Uh, I'm sorry, at the IDB itself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this impromptu reading, taking Narita all the way over, and um, uh, then he comes to the library to do a reading. Um, actually in that room right there, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. very cool. I wish we could have kind of done an impromptu mm-hmm. setup up in that yeah, old right studio. Right next to
1: the studio, there was a smaller little space where they used to be, mm-hmm. take place before Yes. Yeah.
0: Tell us a little bit about uh, your experience as a researcher, you know, using our collections to work on your project on Pablo Neruda. I remember meeting you maybe two years ago. Uh, I was in probably one of my first chiefs as a reference librarian, and you came very excitedly to me, you know, trembling with this envelope in your hands, and you were like, look what I found, and I'm like, what did he find? (laughs) And you had two copies of this brittle, almost falling apart, uh, uh, two very small thin books called Tentativa del Hombre, Infinito from 1926 and apparently these are copies I mean there are not that many copies of this book around the world by Pablo Neruda and we had two in the same envelope at the library and this was very exciting for you and you convey that very clearly (laughs) to me and that made me very happy to be working here with this collection. So tell us about that how was it how did you find it and what Um, other things have you found in our collection?
2: Yeah I mean if I could go I mean that was the biggest, the, the mm-hmm. most exciting, and uh, it's great that I was trembling. Uh, <laughs> you were. There's, there's actually a, a Neruda <laughs> memoir or in his memoirs about trembling with his first poem, And I'm not, <laughs> not trying to compare everything with Neruda, <laughs> but um, and that I had that accent that you gave me there. Oh. But um, <laughs> but um, no, what that was. I mean, it's just these excitements of of you know all of us being into books and into libraries, and then you find these, hoyas, these joys, these joy joy jewels mm-hmm. um, kind of out of nowhere and I um, have been with City Lights It's um, a project uh, I'm doing or it's actually going to the printer soon so I guess it's done um, uh, we're doing the first ever um, translation book length trans, book form translation of tentativa de hombre infinito it'll be called it's called venture of the infinite man is a mm-hmm. translation um, my friend Jessica Powell um, is doing the, did the translation, I did the intro and kind of helped put everything together. And it's coming out this October by City Lights. Um, and this is one of the reasons we're doing it is that Neruda and it kind of goes to why there's so few books and no English um, language translation. And I really think that there's the only translation um, other than what ours is going to be, into a foreign language, it's into Italian, in terms of an actual book and not excerpts in journals or magazines. Um, Neruda called it, this is his third book, um, Cresp- Crespusculario came out in, I believe, 1921, 1922 or so. *Ventí Poems del amor came out in 1924. This was basically finished in 1925, but it came out in January 1926. He's called it one of his most important books Mm -hmm. and one of his favorite books, but one of the most overlooked books.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for everything. (laughs) That was great. And now to talk about Pablo Neruda and his recording, we had a phone interview with the Chilean poet Marjorie Agosin. Marjorie came to the library for an event about Pablo Neruda with the poet and translator Forrest Gander. Unfortunately, we could not interview her in person for the podcast, but we Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to talk with her over the phone and hear some wonderful stories about El Poeta.
0: Besides being a poet, Marjorie Agosin is also a translator and a professor in Latin American Studies and Spanish at Wellesley College. She was also born born and raised in Chile, but her family moved to the United States soon before the coup that installed Augusto Pinochet. In both her scholarship and her creative work, Agostin centers on issues of social justice, feminism, and remembrance. In 1986, she published the book Pablo Neruda as part of the Twain's World Authors Series. Some of her own works include The Angel of Memory, The Alphabet in My Hands, and A Cross and a Star, Memoirs of a Jewish Girl in Chile. Marjorie, it's so great to have you here with us for this um, interview. We last saw you in February for the presentation of The Lost Poems of Pablo Neruda that was translated by Forrest Gander. Yes. And you and Forrest had a wonderful conversation. We enjoyed that visit a lot. Thank certainly. you. I enjoyed
3: it too, and it's, it's good to to be back.
1: Marjorie, what can you tell our listeners about Pablo Neruda and what is important about his work?
3: Well, this is a, a, an incredible question, mm-hmm. a, a question that requires abundance in my answers, but basically I would just like to say that um, Pablo Neruda was a colossal lover of life, of objects, of history, of memory, and to read his poetry is really to to read the history of the world, Mm -hmm. the history of nature, the history of seashells, butterflies, the known and the unknown, And this poet um, has this vast imagination that touches upon every living thing. So to read him um, is to almost engage with the beauty, the perplexity of our universe. And that's how I feel about reading him.
0: Excellent. One thing that I remember from your visit was a story of a young Marjorie Agustin meeting El Poeta, Pablo Neruda. Could you tell us about that moment? Or? Yes.
3: Uh, I, as you know, Natalia, I grew up in, in Santiago, Chile, but uh, we also had a, a little summer house very near Isla Negra in a little village called uh, El Quisco. And my greatest joy was to go with my mother, walking from El Quisco to Isla Negra. It's almost about a, almost an hour's walk because I was small and I walked slow. And I used to always love to see a Pablo Neruda in in the rocks, in the rocky coast of the Pacific Ocean, uh, totally entranced, looking at the sea with a poncho, a gray poncho, and he always had a notebook with a green pen. And I often approached him, said hello, and one day he wrote a poem, and he gave me a poem about a bell. So that, to me, was a transformative moment of my life uh, as a child and um, my future life as a poet. I didn't know then that I would become a poet, but I'm sure that encounter had a lot to do with my, my vocation.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. That's beautiful. Did you actually keep, do you have the poem?
3: Yes, I have it I in the do. safe, it's very protected, <laughs> oh. uh, because he wrote it in a napkin, but the poem says something like, uh, te gusta la palabra, campana y su sonido, do you love the word bell and its sound? Oh, how wow. beautiful.
0: That is amazing. You chose, uh, for today's recording, you uh, you chose an excerpt from Alturas de Machu Picchu, which is one of the poems included in Canto General, General Song. Neruda recorded in this studio where we are, where you also recorded in February. Uh, he recorded on June 20th, 1966. And Canto General is a fantastic book, right? It's a massive book, and it attempts to be um, a history of, the, of our continent, right? A history of America yeah, from our yeah. perspective, Could you tell us a little bit about the book and about the excerpt that you chose for today? Yes. Well, like you
3: said, Talia, I think that's one of the most um, extraordinary books of American literature. And when I say American, I also think of the North and the South. Mm -hmm. And I think that we finally, (coughs) excuse me, we finally understand that uh, in order to understand poetry, and history we need to listen Mm -hmm. uh, to the imagination of the poet and i say poetry and history because i believe that canto general is the perfect alchemy of a historical vision of the americas written in poetic verses Mm -hmm. and i believe that what is so important about this book is that pablo neruda speaks about it from the perspective of its victims, of its original inhabitants. He really uh, honors the indigenous experience of the Americas, and he also speaks about their destruction um, from the conquistadores, the Spaniards, and histories like this. You have victims and victimizers, winners and losers. But what I love about Canto General is that you actually feel the voices of the native inhabitants Mm -hmm. of the Americas. You you feel their hands working with clay. Uh, You feel feel their their rhythms, their their enchanted language. And I think what is so masterful about this poem is the recovery of history from Mm -hmm. the point of view of those that lost I love the passage uh, that begins with sube a nacer conmigo, hermano, Mm -hmm. because it's it's, it's a call for uh, joining uh, perhaps the new Americas, an America free, an America democratic, uh, an America without the conquistadores. So I believe that that, to me, is a very, very moving passage that has also been put to song... um, by, by many composers uh,
0: throughout the world. Excellent. Well, now let's listen to Pablo Neruda reading from Alturas de Machu Picchu.
4: Sube a nacer conmigo, hermano. Dame la mano desde la profunda zona de tu dolor diseminado. <inaudible> no volverás del fondo de las rocas, no volverás del tiempo subterráneo, no volverá tu voz endurecida, no volverán tus ojos taladrados. Mírame desde el fondo de la tierra, labrador, tejedor, pastor callado, domador de guanacos tutelares, albañil del andamio desafiado, aguador de las lágrimas andinas, joyero de los dedos machacados, agricultor temblando en la semilla, alfarero en tu greda derramado, traed a la copa de esta nueva vida vuestros viejos dolores enterrados. Mostradme vuestra sangre y vuestro surco, decidme, aquí fui castigado porque la joya no brilló o la tierra no entregó a tiempo la piedra o el grano, señaladme la piedra en que caísteis, y la madera en que os crucificaron, encendedme los viejos pedernales, las viejas lámparas, los látigos pegados a través de los siglos en las llagas, y las hachas de brillo ensangrentado. Yo vengo a hablar por vuestra boca muerta.
1: Marjorie, what makes Pablo Neruda so appealing to a universal audience, given that his poetry can also be read as very Chilean? Uh, I I like this question very
3: much because I think the universal is the provincial uh, because everybody understands the feeling of a small town, the feeling of a Sunday afternoon, the wonder of a beautiful day by the sea. So Neruda is Chilean, but he also represents the world because he has the ability to express the ordinary life of people all over. He has um, a very candid approach to the everyday. He's also metaphysical, spiritual, highly complex. But I think the appeal is that we can all imagine uh, an ode to a tomato. We can all imagine the image of a a tomato being almost the king of the salad. (laughs) He has um, a universal appeal because his symbols are universal
1: and are very humanistic. Oh, I love the, that you mentioned the ode to the Tomato, because that's always been one of my favorite <laughs> <little poems. Yes. laughs> His Oats to Simple Things are so yes. beautiful.
0: So you're a poet, too, Marjorie. And Pablo Neruda had a big influence or an impact in many generations of poets uh, throughout Latin America and the world in general. Um, So what did he mean to writers of your generation? I think
3: of, right, and it's true, um, some people recognize that we are all the the children, the daughters, and the sons of Neruda. Other generations, younger than mine, believe he shouldn't have existed, but it's the (laughs) idea of the young child Mm -hmm. fighting his father. Mm -hmm. I believe that Without Neruda, we wouldn't be the poets we are. So I think and feel that he is a fundamental influence in my generation and the generation of of newer writers who who wish he wouldn't write the way he does. so I'm referring, for example, uh, Roberto Bolaño mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. never praised Neruda, but praised Nicanor Parra. But I think Bolaño is of that generation mm-hmm. that uh, prefer. A poetry that is mostly based on the the, the dailiness,
4: mm-hmm. without
3: the beauty of aesthetic language. Mm-hmm. But for me, Neruda gave me sound, language, music, wonder, inanimate objects becoming alive. I think he gave me the world, and I always look at the world through his eyes, through his lenses. When I look at the sea, when I feel the wind. Um, when I am in a place of mystery. So I am a poet because of him. And I will always be grateful. Uh, and as you know, Talia, there is a lot of envy in the artistic world, whether mm-hmm. it's poetry, music, art. And like I said at the beginning of my interview, he is colossal. There's mm-hmm. no one like him. He's he's like Cervantes, Lope de Vega. He is a literary genius. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to compete with his genius, but I'm grateful
0: for what he gave us. Yeah, like him or not, everybody exactly. knows like who Pablo Neruda who, who Pablo exactly. Neruda is. Mm-hmm. Yes, is there?
3: yeah. Well, speak- and it's something that um, it's very difficult to pretend he doesn't exist yes. because we have learned to write because of him.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of sound and musicality, uh, what can you get from? Neruda uh, by by listening to him versus reading him we have the great privilege of having this beautiful recording of his yeah. and is one of the most beautifully read in my opinion. Um, so what what can you get from from listening to Neruda's voice and I I want to commend you and I
3: hope that um, everyone will take the time to to read to listen to Neruda and enter the the recordings from the Library of Congress because I shared his voice and his readings with my students, mm. and that was uh, an extraordinary experience for, for young people. Neruda read like nobody else. He he had a very nasal tone, very, um, very melodic. Um. His voice somehow, I think it was from another world. It's not... It's not a common voice, it's not a common sound. He read very slowly. And I think it's so important to read him because uh, nothing is more uh, joyous than to hear the poet read his own compositions, his Mm. own work. But I love his voice because of um, uh, his tone. Maybe it's very, for some people, maybe very monotonous. In in the way that it sounds, is always the same. It doesn't have many cadences. He doesn't raise his voice. But I find that very beautiful. And I like his his nasal intonation that is unique. I also think to hear Gabriela Mistral is quite unique Mm -hmm. uh, because she has the voice of a woman that was raised among peasants, among people that... Um, speak poetry rather than read it. There's the orality of her poetry. And I find that there's something of that too in Neduda but his voice is filled with mystery and I like how he pauses uh, in his poetry in places that perhaps uh, common readers would not.
1: For some reason it always always reminds me of the ocean when he's reading. I don't don't know if for him that was a subconscious thing but or if it was a conscious thing, but it, I always feel like his, his mm-hmm. voice and the way he reads his poems is like you know like the waves yeah. of the ocean. Uh, the,
3: yes, and also you know all his childhood he wrote and lived in places that rain so much. So I think that's the image there's always
0: a, a feeling that he's thinking about water. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful image. Yeah. Um, Marjorie, some of our listeners may be first-time readers of Pablo Neruda. Do you have any recommendations as to where they should start reading Neruda?
3: Yes, that's Mm -hmm. a a beautiful question, Talia. I would um, ask them to begin in two places, to begin reading his 20 love poems. Mm -hmm. Whether you are young, middle-aged, old, you will feel the beauty, the passion, the imagery of this incredible, um, incredible verses, so simple mm-hmm. and so profound. And I would also invite the readers to begin reading the Book of Odes because uh, we live always, I think, mankind has lived in somber times, dark times. But when you begin to read the odes, you somehow feel that the that life and the world becomes illuminated. Mm. So I would suggest that they begin first the love
0: poems and then the odes. I really like those two recommendations of books, right? The 20 songs and the, and the odes. Um, there's also that very, or that more political angle, right, to Pablo Neruda's um, work, if I'm not mistaken. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, it's interesting, Talia, that
3: you asked me this question, because uh, what interests me in Neruda is his love poetry, Mm -hmm. his historical poetry, and the poetry of the everyday things. Mm -hmm. But I know that his most ardent critics, and critics in a very negative way, are very uh, condemning because he, he joined the Communist Party, and condemn him because um, he wrote an ode uh, to Stalin, Oda a uh, Stalingrado, and I, al- I also believe that w- I also believe that he was so engaged in social justice, and that in a crazy way, somehow believed that Stalin could be the answer for for the world's poor. But I think throughout time, he realized that it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. But I also feel it's not fair to be condemned for the writing of one poem uh, praising somebody like Stalin. But I think that his political poetry, for me, has to do much more with social justice, Mm -hmm. with human rights. Um, It doesn't have so much to do with dogmatic politics, Mm -hmm. with party politics. Mm And I think we should we should really read his political poetry as, as part of um, the history of marginality because he always speaks about the voiceless people of the Americas, uh, where there will be um, the sla- uh, slavery in the United States, the abuse of indigenous communities. So his his political poetry is for me is really
0: historical poetry. Well, thank you so much, Marjorie, for being with us and for, you know, talking with us about the great Pablo Neruda for the archive. Thank
3: you. Thank you very much
0: for this opportunity.
3: And I hope people will be encouraged to continue reading him.
1: Thank you all for listening, and we hope you continue to explore the archive of Hispanic literature on tape here in La Biblioteca. Thank you for tuning in. To listen to some of the recordings from the Archive of Hispanic Literature on Tape, go to www.loc.gov. You can find the project by clicking on our Digital Collections link on the homepage and selecting the Audio Recordings Collections category. You can also find it by going to the library's Hispanic Divisions website, which is www.loc.gov slash rr hispanic. Hasta
0: pronto! This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.